Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 11th episode for the year, week 11. You know, last Thursday, Senator Amy Klobuchar, the co-chair of the Senate Broadband Caucus and House Majority Whip James Clyburn introduced the Accessible Affordable Internet for All Act, which includes $80 billion for nationwide deployment of symmetric gigabit broadband. I would like to thank our members who have joined us for a number of virtual fly-ins that we held with congressional representatives from their state in our effort to get this legislation introduced. The job though is far from done and we'll be continuing our virtual fly-ins this week with Republican offices to ensure that we this bill gains bipartisan support. I'm also pleased to announce that we've received a tremendous response on our announcement that we'll be holding our annual in-person conference Fiber Connect 2021 at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville on July 25th to 28th. I couldn't be more excited about getting together this summer as communities and operators around the country are launching major fiber projects. And 2021 is on track becoming one of the biggest fiber investment years in history. That brings us to today's Fiber for Breakfast session, where we'll be discussing the future of rural America how can prosper and thrive. But before I introduce our guest, I'd like to introduce Trish Ehlers, Martin, who will walk us through some housekeeping items. Thank you, Gary, and good morning to everyone who's joined us today. I'm gonna quickly go over a few logistical items. If you would all please keep in mind that all participants are in listen mode only. To ask a question, please type it into the question box located within your control panel, uh, which should be on the right side of your screen. We will host a Q&A session toward the end. This presentation is being recorded and will be available to members only on FBA's website within 24 hours. You can find the recording in the events tab under the Fiber for Breakfast drop-down option. At the conclusion of the presentation, you'll be prompted to complete a brief feedback survey. We do pay attention to your input, so please take a minute and do that. I'll now pass it back to Gary to introduce our panelists and get us started. Gary. Thank you, Trish. Again, good morning and welcome everyone. I'm Gary Bolton, the president and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last couple of weeks, we've been discussing whether fixed wireless access will deliver the broadband performance promised in the RDOF gigabit tier for rural America. But if anyone knows what's best for rural America, it's Chad Roop, the most recent RUS administrator. Chad, Chad joins us today to discuss the future of rural America how it can prosper and thrive. Chad Group most recently served as the 21st administrator of USDA's Rural Utility Service and as managing member of Rural America Strategies. This morning, he will reflect on the RUS broadband programs and momentum under his leadership, as well as life after RUS, how he plans to continue his mission to help rural America prosper and thrive. You know, Chad's credentials include leading the ReConnect broadband program. Chad implemented the 2018 Farm Bill changes to rural broadband, 
including smart grid deployment. He deployed over $18 billion in federal loans and grants for 8,000 utility borrowers. In addition, Chad served as Secretary Sonny Perdue's representative for the FCC's Precision Agriculture Task Force. He also led coordination with the U.S. Department of Energy for deployment of developed emerging technology to improve resiliency, reliability, affordability, and security of the smart grid. Uh, lastly, he served as the Rural Development State Director in Wyoming and worked with the state of Wyoming in delivering its state broadband plan. Welcome, Chad. First, I'd like to thank you for your leadership and service as we tirelessly work to close the digital divide. You know, for our audience, please type in any questions you have as we go for our Q&A at the conclusion of the presentation. Over to you, Chad. Well, good morning and thanks, Gary, for providing me the opportunity to speak today with your members. USDA's ReConnect program is a very successful rollout of a new government funding effort that will really continue to offer great results. So far, with $1.3 billion invested to date, we've supported over 160 projects across the United States for almost a million people. I started with RUS about two years ago in March of 2019. And on my second day, I was on a road trip to Washington, Pennsylvania to speak at a seminar for the opening of the first ReConnect application window. Secretary Sonny Perdue had a very clear and determined objective to get ReConnect deployed. It had been languishing for over a year with some progress, but really no results and no money going out the door and no projects breaking ground. The development of an automated ReConnect program IT system had been its biggest hangup. And really perfection was the enemy of the good in this case. Contractors and government employees were not really working as a team or were concerned about winning their point of view rather than really getting the project started and in the ground. So upon taking charge of the program, we acted with speed using an agile project management method, which allowed the good to prevail rather than the perfect. And I really commend the, the team that I worked with there for getting focused, getting it put together and not letting a bureaucratic uh, approach really bog us down. I ensured the leaders of the teams were really focused on the results rather than just the perspective. And they really came together and they made a huge difference in speeding up the deployment of this program. By finishing our online application system, we sped up decisions by months and allowed transparency for maps and stakeholders' knowledge. And it really allowed a much clearer and cleaner line of communication for all concerned. One of the other really successful parts of the ReConnect program that allowed us a very progressive opportunity was that Congress allowed us to obligate government funds before the environmental reviews had been completed. That sped up obligations by years. Anybody that's actually had to deal with some of these environmental reviews knows that it can really bog down a project and it, sometimes it continues to do that. But in the end, environmental reports are required by law and they're still needed before any construction could begin in most cases in, in most build situations. But what it really did is it gave surety of funding for the applicants so that they could know that they had the financial backing of their partners as they chose to move forward in these projects. They didn't have to wait for years to know if they even had the money available to begin the project. So that was a very good opportunity for us to make impact. And then third, we made sure that our general field representatives on the ground were actually able to visit the site locations and validate whether or not there was service as we defined it for unserved at 10-1 on a 24-7 basis at the residential level. And I made that very clear and a very important piece of the discussion. You know, having it available on a 24-7 basis at the residential level. 
that really clarified some of the places where you know they may have been uh, providing fiber to a single location, but the vast majority of the people in that location had no service whatsoever. We coordinated with federal and state broadband agencies such as the FCC and NTIA to make sure that we acknowledged any other federal or state funding efforts because um, Congress had made abundantly clear that they did not want us to overbuild. So we really had to be careful in our approach and our boots on the ground was really a critical step in that approach since there had been so much marketing and controversy by stakeholders on who was served and who was not. I mean, anybody can see some of these uh, commercials about 5G everywhere and, and all this opportunity. And we all know the reality in rural America quite oftentimes is we're, we're just hoping that we can get any service, let alone 5G. Um, so this was our path to call the truth on the ground at the time of the site visit. Um, we did a fairly good job at communicating with stakeholders. And like I said earlier, though, it wasn't perfect. Um, you know, perfect was the enemy of the good. And we had to get money out the door and get these projects started because people needed it. And unfortunately, we didn't realize just how quickly and how much of an impact it would have on our nation over this last year. So we learned and improved in round two on some of the errors that we had made in round one. And then fourth, we focused on ensuring that government dollars were well spent. We learned from the BTOP and BIP programs of the past and several other things that had gone on. And that's really where that experienced staff that I had, the real true professionals that, that led the agency, really stepped up and, and helped uh, create some of the opportunities to learn from those lessons of the past. Some of the things that we made sure that we learned is that we did not finance startups. And Although all types of connections are necessary for precision agriculture and really the empowerment of 5G, we placed heavy focus on long-term capacity of service, which we knew fiber had to go deep in order to be successful. And anybody that's been in the business long enough will tell you that. Even you know, the, the satellite and wireless carriers will tell you that they need fiber to be able to be successful at a certain point. And really the infrastructure in that middle mile just was not in place to be able to support that. So we really had to get the last mile connections uh, for the results on this program, but, but fiber had to go deep and had to go much deeper into rural America. We focused on the results uh, for new connections to farms, to ranches, businesses, schools, and homes. And in the new regulation that just has been published for comment here in the last month, we found ways to allow the larger publicly traded companies to engage with funding options by giving them the capacity to pledge collateral that fit the need of government regulations related to security and guarantees. And this gives all players an opportunity to succeed. So I was pleased that we were able to come to agreement with some of these large carriers that, that wanted to support this effort, but um, felt that they didn't have a, a fair opportunity to participate. This really truly does give them that, that future opportunity to do so. You know, although separate from ReConnect, I, I really got to give a shout out to our electric infrastructure loan program. It's uh, something that really by moving smart grid and fiber optics past the electric transmission substations, we're now allowing fiber to go deep into the electric co-op member areas. And that's really where there is a, a lack of service in many areas. It's really where you see a lot of unserved parts of America is in those rural electric co-op areas. So it opened up over five and a half billion dollars in annual federal funding for fiber optics to, to, to be deployed in unserved areas. And that policy change that we implemented last year is, is monumental. Um, having access to those funding streams gives the capacity to close the digital divide by using conventional and traditional USDA lending programs 
that have been available since 1936. It does not require annual taxpayer funding by Congress, only authorization to run the program. Because it's been so well ran and it has a negative subsidy, it's something that it doesn't require appropriations. You know, it's, it's not going back to Congress and constantly asking for more money. It's just authorization to run the program. And that really is a big benefit for everyone concerned, including um, the telecom providers. It's an opportunity for the electric co-ops to stick to their core model and work with telecom providers to get service out to these last mile areas. But getting back to reconnect, I'm excited to see what happens with round three. And I'm also keenly interested in new infrastructure federal funding efforts that I'm seeing develop under this new Congress. I think there's a lot of opportunity. There's obviously a lot of bipartisan support. And I think that's a, an excellent method to uh, help build and, and rebuild uh, America for so many of us that feel like we've been left behind in, in rural areas and not getting the full opportunity to engage. And now that I'm on the outside of government, I'm really pleased that I have the capacity to assist providers with new applications. I'm restricted in certain cases, and, and I'm restricted in representing back to the federal government, obviously on any particular loan, grant, or application that was under my supervision within our US while I served as administrator from March of 2019 to January 2021. So if we could, uh, let's move on to the next slide. So with all of those lessons learned, I'm really pleased with what we've done, but in my new business venture, I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward and looking beyond just connecting the homes, businesses, schools, hospitals, and farms. And by looking at the last mile connection and saying, okay, great, you know, we have this connection, now what? We're envisioning really the capacity of 5G and edge commuting edge computing private LTE networks at the end of the fiber lines. Uh, and it's really gonna empower precision agriculture. Like you'd mentioned, I served as the secretary's representative on the Precision Ag Task Force with the FCC. And seeing the industry come together to discuss this effort is really key. It's something that is going to allow the United States to increase production of our agriculture. It's going to allow manufacturing to move into the rural areas and help rebuild some of these areas and really give rural America a chance to, to bounce back from decades long decline of our economies and the, the out migration from rural communities. You know, uh, what we've seen with, with unfortunately with COVID, uh, this one of the, the benefits of, of such an unfortunate situation is a lot of people are relooking at rural America and saying, okay, that might be a good place to go, but they wanna make sure that they have the capacity to run their businesses at, at at full steam. Um, nobody should have to sacrifice their quality of life or their business model uh, by living in rural America. And really that's where I'm, I'm focused as we move forward. Um, I really have some great partners who've agreed to move forward with me. And one is Connected Nation. They have a strong relationship model for state and local governments for planning purposes. And at the request of another key partner, Trilogy Networks, I've been recently appointed to the Advisory Council for the Rural Cloud Initiative. And this consortium includes leaders across the tech industry who are actively trying to solve the digital divide and realize precision agriculture. No single entity can solve this issue and this consortium brings the right players together to give a true solution. And additionally, you know, I have a, a wonderful network of friends that I've developed over the years, including um, classmates from the academy from years ago. And one of my classmates, Sean Harden, he owns Arkin Technologies and he's translating his connections for metro hospitals, ports, and manufacturing and warehouse facilities to rural smart cities where a rural community really requires this 
private LTE 5G type of connectivity for competitive relevancy. And Alex Hergott, who recently served the Trump administration as well, um, it has been helping me facilitate speeding up environmental reviews and federal permitting. So he's now a partner as well. He started the Permitting Institute and his firm will continue to support efforts in speeding up environmental decisions and expediting uh, construction permitting. And then additionally, I'd like to mention that I've uh, developed another key relationship with another old classmate of mine, um, through Procure Analytics, we're working to develop a national discount program. And Gary, we've talked about this briefly and uh, we're working on several trade associations to offer this opportunity to stretch those, those dollars further. So as you're developing these build outs, it gives you the capacity to make it work harder for you and go further with the money that you've been provided. So really look forward to developing some of those opportunities. Then I also have partners such as the Beatty team in Georgia who provides economic development advice to rural communities. And then Harrison Edwards who provides advice for specific projects including smart cities. Um, and then lastly, I'm working with the US Energy Association as we realize the benefits of carbon capture, utilization and sequestration for benefiting precision agriculture and advanced manufacturing while ensuring a resilient, reliable and affordable national power grid. I've included some information on each of these entities on the slide deck for everyone's later review. So I'm not gonna go into a lot of detail on each one here, but when we match these capabilities with the breadth and the depth of rural utilities, which you can see on the next maps, this is a huge opportunity. And the electric co-ops cover over 56% of the US land mass. And then uh, if we move on to the next slide, I'll show you about the water and improvement districts and they're scattered all over the United States. So as we move on to the next slide, um, so if you take the outside of the box thinking that we developed with the ReConnect program in rounds one and round two, and you match that up with those other maps, you can really see the footprint and the depth and scope of focus that we can place on this effort. So if we move into slide eight, I think another key thing to point out, especially with what we've seen in Texas recently, um, your members could really help close the reliability and resiliency issues we see out west for the power grid. There are significant gaps in our fiber optics networks there for the good relationships and forward thinking. We're able to solve more than just the readily apparent issues that we talk about every day in broadband. It can help resolve cybersecurity and give the power grid better national response and awareness so that people know exactly where lines are down and how things can get handled quickly rather than having to wait for days to um, have people go out and find the lines of where it's down and, and get an opportunity to close some of those openings in, in the network. And then if we could move on to the next slide, I, I want to mention as well that additionally, I've just recently joined a banking group in Nebraska. So that will be another potential opportunity for expanding financial capacity beyond their traditional methods. You know, when we look at e-connectivity and how important it is to the entire rural communities, uh, the financing arm is really critical. And, and so I'll, I'll mention more about this in the near future, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So I'm just going to leave that comment there where it lies, but there's really great opportunity here. Uh, if we move on to the next slide, that combination is going to open up construction lines of credit for FCC bidders who have to wait for reimbursement. It opens up construction lines of credit for RUS direct loan awardees want to do business with community banks rather than the usual organizations because uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of these organizations are quote waiting for someone else to take us out of the malaise of COVID-19. If we take the lead it's going to give us the capacity to really build out precision agriculture so much like we've talked about 
it gives us um, real opportunities to save money. And I apologize because it should show the dollar figures on that, that slide, but uh, for some reason that didn't flow through. But bottom line is that all of those uh, items are going to give great opportunity to improve your ability to, to have a viable business in rural America. And so if we, um, if we, there we go, there it is. And my point behind this is really leaders have to lead and that's what we have to plan to do. Um, that's something I've believed in since my, my days at West Point. And uh, it's something that if we're all waiting around for someone else to take the lead, it's gonna be a much longer recovery. We have to step forward and have faith in the United States and what we can do. And we can't be waiting for everyone else to pull us out of this effort. We have to be the ones that pull ourselves out. That's just the reality of it, and that's what capitalism is all about. So we need to have make we need to make sure that fear is not gripping our nation the way it has, and it, it's justified. Don't don't get me wrong. Please please don't misinterpret my comments. There, there's an old saying that John Wayne had about saddling up when you're scared, and, and that's really what the United States has to do. We have to saddle up, put our boots on, and, and get to work because that's the reality of it. And it starts with really good planning and, and open minds. So if we go on to the next slide, I'd like to talk about a few of the states. Um, there's certain states that are really taking the lead in helping others with state broadband planning. And if we really work with our partners and, and get all of these um, states to help the other states that, that may not have those broadband plans put together, I think it's something that can really help all of the United States get back on track. Um, you know, I, I really commend the efforts that have gone on in rural America, and, and quite frankly, I'm pleased to see the, the focus on the, the tribal communities as well. You know, I see some folks that take such pride in the fact that they've helped um, overseas nations develop, you know, really expanded and high value networks. But unfortunately, you look at some areas of the United States, and, and especially in our tribal areas, and I don't see that same level of effort and that same level of pride in helping Americans move forward. And that's what really um, frustrates me is we have great opportunity and there should be a great focus on those tribal areas because those folks truly do deserve all the things that, that America offered, just like everyone else does. And our colonias down by the, the border, all of those places that have been neglected for so long need that support and need that focus. And so I'm pleased to see that, you know, there's bipartisan effort to be able to move forward in that regard and really um, give us a timely and substantive uh, effort to build out these areas. So with that, Gary, I'll, I'll turn it back to you and I appreciate the opportunity to speak with your membership today. So thank you. Wow, Chad, um, I love it. You know, we just got to cowboy up and get uh, fiber out to rural America. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, so first of all, you know, thanks for being on, but uh, I mean, how are you doing? You're out there in Douglas, Wyoming, and you got how much snow? Well, uh, we got 25 inches of very wet spring snow that has shut us down for days. But uh, I will say that this, fortunately, our uh, our electric infrastructure has has done has performed exceptionally well. We have a lot of good baseload power here in Wyoming, and that has uh, really shined through for us. And so I commend all of our uh, providers in in their efforts and the the risk that the 
uh, public service folks have taken to to make sure that we've had continued support and reliability in in our power. So that has helped us a lot. But we've had I've got I think about three foot on the level here, and the interstate's still shut down, and they're they're working hard to get us reopened. But this has been an historic storm for us. I mean, that's a perfect example of weather where I mean, the pandemics isolated us, but now you know with all that snow and all the roads shut down, you know just how critical it is for rural America to be connected. Uh, so what are your thoughts on, you know, when we went to RDOF and we saw that a lot of money was um, um, allocated to um, things like LEO satellites and, and fixed wireless. I mean, you talked about how critical infrastructure is, not only for communications, but smart grid and 5G. I mean, what is your thought about um, rural America being relegated to things like LEO satellites? Well, I can tell you why I ran our program at USDA, and I only invested taxpayer funds in things that I knew had proven out in technology and would be a good return on investment. Um, so there was a lot of focus on fiber. Fiber can't go everywhere in the United States. Um, there, there, there's a need for satellite and LEO capacity, as well as fixed wireless. And, and that's necessary to really truly realize everything that we're trying to do. So I don't want to disparage any technology. I just know that there's a lot of development that has yet to be done in that that regard. And when we're talking about taxpayer dollars, I think it's important that we're diligent in the application of those taxpayer dollars. Now, the the funding of the the, the those type of efforts in in RDOF, um, would I have done it differently? Probably, uh, but I'm not gonna. Um, disparage my my counterparts they all work very hard and the FCC had been a good partner to USDA continues to be a good partner across the spectrum and so I really um, commend them for their efforts and their, their desire to get money out the door but, but yeah I probably would have done things a little differently. So last week I was at a uh, power and telecom construction um, event and you know, so basically the, all the guys that are actually boots on the ground that are getting this stuff deployed. And they have a lot of concern about, I mean, they're excited that all this money's coming in, but they were concerned about accountability to making sure all this money deployed actually gets into this fiber and, and actually gets service to rural America. Um, what is the right balance of oversight? I mean, is it, does RUS have it right? Or, um, you know, can USAC and FCC take care of this or? Yeah, what I'm really proud about with RUS is that we have, or I, I, I act like I'm still here and I'm not, but, but my point is, is we had, uh, and we and they still do, they have a lot of people out in rural America, and that really ties them to the community, and uh, quite frankly, it calls truth to the situation, like we talked about with the general field representatives visiting out there and making sure that things get done. What it really comes down to is having the strength and the willpower to overcome the lobbying efforts of people back in DC and making sure that people uh, fulfill the promises that they've made to the American people and do their job. And sometimes that's hard to be the, the bad guy, but you've got to be willing to be the bad guy to make sure that this stuff gets done because in the end, everyone's trying to serve rural America. Everybody's trying to get this stuff deployed to the places that need it. And if you're gonna make a promise, you need to keep it. If you're gonna do the job, do it. Um, stand behind your word and, and you know follow that that code of the West, so to speak. So, and so um, one of the questions that came in is, um, so I think our audience is excited to hear from you. So that's great. And uh, 
do you feel there's going to be a round three starting up for the reconnect program given that there's broad bipartisan support yeah yeah i do um you know it, it's something that uh hopefully you know later this this spring or early summer uh we'll see another round out, out of the group uh like i said they're very dedicated people uh you know i've got a lot of great relationships with, with those folks and i i uh, definitely hold those people dearly so yeah i think there's going to be a, another round and good opportunity for people to participate and I look forward to seeing what happens. That's exciting. Uh, another question, I think it's a good question here is with all the new technology and infrastructure available, C-band, fiber, wireless, uh, from your experience with utilities and service providers, in your opinion, is a network more or less secure today than it was in the past? Yeah, quite frankly, I think when you expand that quickly, um, there's there are security issues, there's no doubt. Um, Every time you advance technology, it's an opportunity for bad actors to come to come to the table and try and take advantage of that situation. It's that's what just happens throughout history. And so, as we build it out, we have got to make sure that security is there. Um, fortunately, we have a lot of smart people who are focusing on this effort at a national level. I think the rip and replace thing that's going on by the FCC is definitely a, a positive development. Um, and hopefully that will be sufficient to help out with some of the cybersecurity issues. But there are people who wish ill on the United States and want to do nothing but, but harm our, our, our continental United States, as well as our territories in Alaska and, and Hawaii, Puerto Rico and Guam, all of those folks. You know, So we have to make sure that cybersecurity is paramount as we move forward. Um, you know, there are state actors and non-state actors who, who really truly do wish to do us harm. And that is something we have to protect. And that's gotta be on everybody's mind. Yeah, I was looking at a study yesterday showing with all the work from home that the vulnerability has gone sky high and uh, the hackers are, you know, going, that's the easiest way into a corporate network is to someone's insecure work from home situation. Yeah, and um, we have to make examples of these people, Gary. I mean, when we when we find people doing this, we have to make examples of them we have to be harsh on our punishment for those individuals and those organizations. So from uh, here's one from Northern Vermont, and it's saying a lot of the residents, uh, there are in dire financial straits uh, before and during COVID, you know, so how do we make fiber internet available and affordable to everyone? Yeah, and that's a great point. And I'm glad to see the the new acting chair of the FCC is really focused on affordability. I think that that's great. And the, um, Emergency broadband program, I think, will will help a lot in that fact um, with the three billion dollars that it's available there. So they're using the lifeline approach um, in developing that. I think that's helpful. But but part of the discussion about affordability is making sure that when we go to build out these networks, we do it in a cost-effective manner and do it in a sustainable manner. So you spend it once, you spend it right. And you do it in a fashion that takes advantages of all of the opportunities to reduce the capital expenditure costs. So using existing rights of ways and easements and having people work together to take advantage of lines that are already there, those are the things that really can help create that affordability. But in addition to that, yeah, the, the focus that the, the new chair of the FCC has in, in an acting capacity, you know, they're, they're working on trying to get it right. And, and so that, that helps. Um, but in reality, you have to have a sustainable uh, system. And part of that sustainability is increasing people's wealth and income. You know, um, 
it, it shouldn't just be um, government proceeds going out to support low-income individuals. It should be giving those people a leg up and letting them go out and earn a higher income to be able to be part of the mainstream and, and middle income type of bracket. Uh, that's really key to sustainability. So we have to lift those boats, if you will, to get everyone to to a sustainable income level to, to afford these types of networks. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to me that, you know, I, you know, we go out and we put all this money out for um, subsidized broadband services. And so people, and I was talking to yesterday, uh, someone out in Oklahoma, and they were paying $500 for internet because they'd hit their data cap and then they would have to use satellite and it was being 500 bucks. And so subsidizing $500 or, you know, I was talking to someone in, in Vidalia, Georgia, and they're paying, they have one megabit upstream and they're paying over $200. You know, it seems to me, get infrastructure out first. I mean, I paid $60 per gigabit symmetric. So to get the infrastructure rather than trying to subsidize, you know, these super expensive deployments. But, um, but anyway, uh, there's a ton of questions here, Chad. So I know I'll get you those so that you can follow up people. But unfortunately, we were running over. Um, but just thank you so much, Chad. You know, I could talk to you all day. It's just always a, a pleasure and honor to talk to you about rural broadband issues. And really, thank you for all you've done for our country. And we look forward to you know, supporting your efforts to help advance rural America. Uh, so next week, we're going to be moving from snowy Wyoming to the bright lights of Wall Street. And our guest will be telecom equity analyst icon, George Nodder of Jeffries where we're going to be discussing the rural broadband opportunity, a Wall Street perspective. So thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to getting back together next Wednesday with George Nye. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>